Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Heart of Dating. I'm your host, Kate Warman, and I am so thankful that you've decided to listen in. Today on the show, I am thrilled to introduce you to the amazing Dr. Therese. She is so wise and so brilliant, y'all. Let me tell you, you're going to love her. In our conversation, Dr. Therese and I dive into talking about navigating and healing through trauma. We also talk about one of the side effects of trauma, which is anxiety. I just need to say this, just because someone has been through trauma or even currently deals with anxiety, it does not mean you shouldn't date them. Dr. Therese explains how we can show up in these dating situations with love, kindness, and a desire to understand. Also, just a quick side note, the reality is, friends, we all deal with some level of anxiety. And Dr. Therese shares why that isn't always such a bad thing. I'm telling y'all, I learned so much from her today, and I'm so excited for you too as well. Now, let me just quickly share with you a bit more about Dr. Teresa's incredible background. Part Oprah, part Joanna Gaines, and part Anthony Bourdain, Dr. Therese hails from Southern California and is a Filipina-American licensed clinical psychologist. She's also a self-care and personal development guru and a huge foodie. Berkeley educated, she is a mover and a shaker with a drive for entrepreneurship and building community. Dr. Therese founded the LA Digital Nomads and is the CEO and founder of Exploring Therapy, a wellness community that helps people build a life they don't need a vacation from. I love that concept. (laughs) Through her lens of vivacity and delight, she shares about psychology, business, food, faith, and hospitality. She was a convocation speaker at Pepperdine University and has worked with Women's Health, Bumble Biz, Dr. Henry Cloud, Darling Magazine, Psych Central, and Yellow.co, just to name a few. She has appeared on Tastemade, the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the Holding Space Podcast, and so many others. Dr. Therese has an online therapy practice and travels full-time. She is passionate about inspiring people to create more healthy, free, and connected lives. In her personal life, she is a self-care evangelist, a sustainable clothing and green beauty enthusiast, and on a never-ending quest to find the world's best breakfast burrito. So if you know of one, you gotta let her know. Like I said, friends, today you're going to learn just so much about trauma and about anxiety. And I'm really thrilled for you guys to learn how we can really deal with these things in the context of dating. I'm so thankful for Dr. Therese. So without further ado, get your notebook and your pen ready and let's dive into this conversation. Dr. Therese, welcome to Heart of Dating Podcast today. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So excited. I just love the connections I get to have with people. We were just talking about how we would totally be real life friends. Um, so we're gonna have to be, <laughs> we're gonna have to meet in real life. But right now you're all the way in Portugal. It's so amazing. Yes, I just love this country. So I'm really grateful that the way my life's kind of set up, I get to be wherever I want to be. And for now, it's in Lisbon. 
oh my gosh, I still haven't been out there at all. But I saw a friend, she was at a wedding a few weeks ago in Portugal. And I was like, whoa, this country looks so beautiful just from all the Instagram stories I was stalking the other week. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's really, really beautiful. I feel like I'm unofficially on the tourism board for Portugal. So (laughs) please come and visit. I think you'd love it. Yes, that would be awesome. I would love to come and visit you. So can you just explain for everyone? I think it's so cool that you're able to have you're so multifaceted. You have so many passions and you live abroad. That's so cool. So tell everyone like who you are and kind of what you do. Sure. So um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and Mm. I'm also the CEO and founder of Exploring Therapy, Mm. which is a wellness community to help people build a life they don't need a vacation from. (laughs) And so that philosophy is imbued into everything that we talk about. So we'll talk about mental health. We talk about living your life to the fullest. It's really about all of the different facets of health and wellness. Mm. And it's all of the things that I love. So, you know, we have an Instagram account and we'll talk about amazing food and how traveling is fulfilling. And there are just so many topics that we can include under the idea of therapy. So yeah, the name of Exploring Therapy came about because it was a double entendre. So on the one hand, it's for people who are interested in therapy, Mm -hmm. interested Mm -hmm. in counseling, but it's also this idea that the notion of exploration, of seeking out new things and and discovering things is therapeutic. Mm. And so that's just, if you know me, that's kind of just who I am and what I'm about. And so I love that Um, I have a community where we get to talk about those things every day. (laughs) And in addition to running Exploring Therapy, I have, you know, I'm an online therapist, so I have a fully online practice Mm -hmm. and I travel full time as a digital nomad. And so I've been practicing for over a decade, believe it or not. And most of the clients I've seen over the past 10 plus years have dealt with different forms of trauma Mm. um, or anxiety or depression or all of the above. Right. And coming into the dating sphere, like those are issues that I feel like are so prevalent. I mean, it's prevalent in so many people's lives, but I think oftentimes when we don't learn how to deal with these things or address them in kind of our single time, it will come to affect the relationships in our lives. And I know that like so many people in our community, they have experienced something traumatic in their lives. They're experiencing really terrible anxiety. And I know for me, that was the case for me. And it's been a journey really to see healing and growth after just really traumatic things that have happened in my life. So I guess maybe we could just dive right on in because I know we have so much to cover today. Would you just help us to understand and explain like what trauma is? Like give us a definition of that and help us understand how it impacts us. Absolutely. So trauma is the result of threatening incidents that cause physical, emotional, spiritual, or psychological harm. Mm. And trauma can impact us on an individual level. I think that's the thing we think about most often, but it can also impact us on a cultural level, Mm. on a geographic level, or even on a generational level. Mm. Um, And trauma causes us to be in a dysregulated state, which means that our brain doesn't react to stressors and doesn't cope with difficult stressors in the typical way. Mm. And what I think is so interesting is how common trauma actually is. Depending on studies, they say anywhere from 50 to 70% of adults in the US have experienced some type of trauma. So it's very, very common. At least half to maybe more than half have dealt with it. It could be even up to like 200 plus million people. 
Wow. Okay, that's that is blowing my mind. I had no idea. My goodness. Isn't that correct? It's yeah. just mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 50 to 70%. That's wow. Yeah, that really puts it in perspective. Yeah, and I think that's it's actually helpful, I think, to know the numbers because mm-hmm. when a person is going through trauma, they can often get the impression that they're the only one and that they're mm-hmm. alone and no one understands. Right. So I think it's reassuring to know that trauma is not rare. It's actually quite common mm-hmm. and that it's not a sign of a person being weak yeah. um, or not being able to deal with things properly. It's just something that many of us will unfortunately experience. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Like coming into just understanding the notion that we're not alone. I do think that there's like these words or these things where it's like if I if I say to someone like I've been through trauma, or I've been through something traumatic, they're like I think we fear like oh that means that we have all this baggage or that means that we're like this siloed black sheep. Like we're the only one and mm-hmm. it's like we see mm-hmm. ourselves differently and sometimes I think that they're on the flip side, we can do a better job of like really receiving that information empathetically and understandingly versus judging someone or saying anything just judgmental to someone who reveals they have a trauma. But I do think there's a lot of people that think that they're like the only one and they're afraid to really even come out and voice it. And then in many ways, afraid of even like learning how to heal from it. So Mm -hmm. kind of in that lens, Therese, I'd love to talk about what are some examples of trauma and maybe like big traumas versus small traumas? Like what's the gamut there? Sure. Yeah. Like I said, most people have experienced trauma and it can include so many different things because we can experience a lot of things that can impact us and leave kind of that lasting impression. Mm. So trauma can include things like car accidents, serious Mm. illnesses, Um, experiencing the death of a loved one or being impacted by a natural disaster. But there's such a wide range. And so there are obvious traumas that um, are easier to identify. Um, Traumas that involve abuse, neglect, physical injury, being the victim of a violent crime, experiencing bullying, going Mm. through combat, like through war, poverty. But Mm. then there's others that are more commonly experienced, such as getting fired, moving, having a baby. And so we can be impacted by traumatic events that happen to us. And also, interestingly enough, we can be impacted by traumatic events that happen to other people, which is Mm -hmm. called vicarious traumatization. So there's so many different ways that we can be impacted. There's also another type of trauma we can experience, which is generational. I mentioned that earlier. And and I find this so interesting. There are actually studies that show, um, they did studies of earthworms, and they determined that earthworms in their DNA showed signs of trauma that happened to the generations that preceded them. So trauma is something that can um, very much impact us on a DNA level even. Um, But I think it's important to note that we don't really categorize traumatic events themselves as big or small because it requires a level of judgment, right? To say whether something is big or small. So instead we focus on the severity of impact Mm. and that's based on the type and duration of symptoms. Mm. So let me give you an example because what we're looking at is the impact of the trauma, not the cause of the trauma, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So think of like a physical injury, right? Mm -hmm. So some physical injuries can be very minor. You can be hurt by something that requires you to put on a bandage or put on an ice pack. Other injuries require stitches. And then there's other injuries that might require emergency care, Mm -hmm. surgery, and physical therapy five days a week. So we focus on the impact to the individual. Mm -hmm. The greater the impact to the individual, the greater the trauma. 
Does that make sense? Yep, that totally makes sense. So taking it a step further now, like now that we understand the different kinds of trauma, this is like already I'm taking so many notes. So if I pause in my answers, (laughs) I'm like writing all these notes here because I like to all the listeners, I learned so much just as much as everyone listening. I'm like, whoa, this is fascinating and amazing. (laughs) So Therese, I know that then these kinds of things obviously impact our mental health, impact us as individuals. So can we kind of dive into like, what is the science behind how trauma impacts us specifically as it relates to mental health? Absolutely. And I think before we dive into the science, it's important to kind of understand it on a conceptual level. So the example that I give to people is that the way trauma impacts our brain Mm. is if we think about like a a drain, like a a plumbing drain Mm -hmm. that has a clog in it. So trauma is like the clog in the drain. Mm. It prevents everything else from functioning the way it normally should. Mm. And there's a certain stuckness, right? There's things that can't get through because of the trauma. And so when we look at how to heal the trauma, we really think of it as how can we eliminate that stuckness? How can we eliminate the thing that's getting in the way? How can we process the trauma so that we can go about our business and live our lives in in a healthy way? So it prevents the brain from focusing as it should. That's what I wrote down. I love that. I am really big on like analogies too. It helps me like visualize it. So that was really, really good. So how do we eliminate that stuckness? Yeah. Cause then I'll be like, Mm -hmm. now when I'm talking about it in the future or thinking about it, I'll be able to visualize that. I love it, girl. Speaking my language. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So trauma impacts us on many levels and it impacts us physically and emotionally. So right. physically, we can experience acute symptoms. So those are kind of more short term, mm-hmm. or we can have more chronic symptoms. So there are some major categories mm-hmm. of symptoms that we look at when someone's experiencing trauma. Mm-hmm. So they can have um, intrusive thoughts. So that could be like unwanted memories or flashbacks. Mm-hmm. They have impacts to their emotional state or mood. So it can be um, feelings of shame, embarrassment, guilt, negativity, Mm. sadness. People with trauma experience hypervigilance. So that's basically when they are in a more acute state of being threatened or harmed. And so they, they are more likely to be scared by things just because of the um, the way the trauma has impacted their brain. Right. Okay. And also people typically with trauma have some level of avoidance. Mm. So they will have an aversion to anything that reminds them of the trauma. So for example, if you experienced a car accident and um, you know you were harmed and it happened on the five freeway, yeah. um, you might find yourself feeling very uneasy, very scared, or maybe even having like sweaty palms, Mm. you know, hyperventilation, your heart might be palpitating just at the idea of driving on the five freeway. So it can be really damaging for Mm. people who are trying to live their normal life when trauma has gotten in the way and really starts to impact their minds and their bodies. And the other thing is trauma really can hit um, quite physically too. So people can have all um, of the typical symptoms of anxiety, stomach aches, headaches, body aches, they can have nightmares, they can have difficulties remembering things. Mm. Um, There's a lot of things that can happen where they feel like they're not in control. Mm. When we're impacted by trauma, we go into a stress induced state. Mm. And many people have heard of it. It's typically referred to as fight or flight. But really, it's more like fight 
flee or freeze. Mm -hmm. So those are the three ways that we try to protect ourselves when there's something threatening. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, these responses, they're really a typical anxiety response. They are protective in nature. So they're very useful. So for example, if you're out in the wilderness and you see a bear, it makes a lot of sense that you would have the immediate reaction to want to run away. And so our bodies help make that happen. Mm. Um, Our pupils can dilate, our heart beats really fast, our palms start to sweat. All of these things that are part of that state are designed to make us faster at running away. Mm. Unfortunately, one of the downsides is that when we are in that state, the other parts of our brain, the parts of our brain that are responsible for logical reasoning, executive functioning, Mm -hmm. all of that good stuff, almost completely shuts down. So it's almost as if our brain says, hey, survival is the most important thing right now. So let's turn off all the other things that aren't essential to survival and let's focus on whatever it takes to survive. Mm -hmm. The difficulty with trauma is that the brain can stay stuck in that place for an indefinite amount of time, which as you can imagine, you know, it's useful to be able to run away, but it's not useful when you feel that feeling of anxiety, of fear, right. um, of tension with all those stress hormones running through your body. Yeah. You know, that's not good to feel long term. And so <laughs> those are the things that lead to all of the physical symptoms of anxiety. It's it's why trauma is so difficult, because it's taking something that was once useful, a survival mm-hmm. response. But then our brain hangs on to it beyond when it's useful for us. Mm, Fascinating. Okay, bringing this now, I want to kind of bring all of this into how trauma and then also anxiety, how this kind of shows up in our dating lives. So if you've been through something traumatic, for example, Mm -hmm. how would that then potentially show up in the context of a dating relationship? Right. And I, I think what's interesting, too, is that it's almost not like the question is almost not how might trauma impact, mm. it's how will it impact, right? right? Yeah. Because we know how common it is for us to have some some level of trauma right. and definitely some level of anxiety. Mm. And so it can show up in a lot of different ways, especially if we don't deal with the trauma. For example, we can project our worries and fears that are caused by trauma onto someone else. Mm. So for example, let's say that someone in your past cheated on you right. um, and that was traumatic for you. And so to protect yourself, you might begin to be very suspicious of, of all the people that you're dating, which can really get in the way of you being able to have like a healthy dating experience. Right. So that's just one example. This this is really significant. Um, and that's that trauma can prevent us from feeling safe enough to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. which as you know, I know you talk about vulnerability a lot. Yeah. Vulnerability is essential for building intimacy and building closeness with other human beings. So because trauma impacts our ability to feel safe, it also impacts our ability to trust other people. It impacts our ability to rest, to Mm. enjoy our lives. And um, the the other thing that I think is, is very, very tough is that trauma can actually be stored in the cells of our body. We have research that supports that. Mm. And So one thing that it can do is it can impact our ability to be comfortable with physical intimacy. Mm, And one of the things my clients will say often is, you know, in dating relationships can really care about someone, but if they get touched in just say, you know, a way that is slightly triggering to them, it could be something very innocuous, like someone running, you know, his hands through their hair 
if that reminds them of trauma, then that experience that's supposed to be pleasant, that's supposed to be intimacy building can then be very, very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And if the, you know, if the person you're dating doesn't understand that this is something that you're dealing with, you can see how it can lead to all sorts of miscommunications. Mm -hmm. That person can take it very personally and feel like it means you don't care for them. And, and it can get very, very messy if it's not cared for. Yeah, I think that comes up a lot too in dating the vulnerability, but then also what you just said, the physical piece, like there's so many little things that can physically make us trigger us. I know for me specifically, Mm -hmm. I've been very much triggered in the past just from I've been in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship in the past. So I know a specific trigger word or phrase for me is you're crazy. Mm -hmm. I just think that's kind of a bad thing to say overall to someone. But for me, like that one is very hard for me if someone calls me that because it ties to very many deep wounds Mm -hmm. for my life and a very, very, very traumatic event I shared in a previous episode of a night that Mm -hmm. I actually spent in the psych ward, which I, for the first time, revealed Mm -hmm. on my podcast earlier this year. And so Mm -hmm. an instant that made me feel like, wow, like I, am I like, what's wrong with me, you know, Mm -hmm. and somebody who told me that over and over again. So in the future, I've had boyfriends. And if I'm having a lot of emotions one night, you know, I remember specifically Mm -hmm. a man was like, why are you being so crazy? And I was like, what? (laughs) And then I was acting crazy after that kind of, I mean, quote unquote, I actually hate that word crazy. And I don't think we should ever use that just for the sake of mental health. Mm-hmm. But it triggered my my trauma. It triggered so many layers underneath me. And I completely lashed out and mm-hmm. was terrible like for the next few hours and emotionally just complete wreck. And he was like, wait, what did I do? I'm like, well, you said my trigger word. <laughs> I don't right. want to joke about it either, but it it's like it was a point for me to say, okay, this is like what's going I mean in those situations then let me just boil it down to mm-hmm. like if we find mm-hmm. ourselves being in a situation where we are triggered or we're realizing mm-hmm. this trauma is impacting us in our free future dating lives like how can we what can we do about that so it doesn't just mm-hmm. you know ruin the relationship or completely scare that person off like mm-hmm. what what can we do in those situations yeah oh gosh well first I so appreciate you having the courage to share your story Mm. as I know how vulnerable that can be to share about um, experiences of abuse. Mm. And I hate gaslighting like that when someone says, you know, that's, that's like the definition of gaslighting pretty much when someone says you're being crazy Mm -hmm. and it causes you to second guess yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any relatively healthy human, when they're exposed to that type of treatment, it can really impact your mental well-being. And it's not because you're not strong. It's just because we weren't designed to be invalidated in that way over and over Mm, again. So, you know, as a mental health professional, I just so appreciate you Mm. um, having the courage to share because I know that it will give other people the same permission. I know it already has, Mm, um, but, but that means so much, but but yeah, it, it's a really, it can feel really icky for both parties involved yeah. when someone is triggered, right? Because usually when we're triggered, it's not because we want to be. Um, right. it's, actually, it's never because we want to be. Mm-hmm. It's It really comes out of nowhere. It can feel like being blindsided by yeah. something that happened in our past. And it's very, it can feel very disempowering. There are times where we can get triggered 
rarely. And there are times we can get triggered on a daily basis. Mm. And it really depends on how much the traumatic incident has impacted you. Mm. You know, I have a friend that was in, you know, she was involved in a shooting incident. And she says to this day, you know, I think it's over a year later, that loud noises really scare her. And if you notice that the triggering is getting in the way of you being able to enjoy your life as usual, you know, Mm. so if it's getting in the way of work, relationships, or just everyday life, then that's a sign that you, you know, should really consider getting more support because you deserve it. Right. So Mm. obviously there's therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy is scientifically proven to support um, and help people heal from trauma and anxiety. But there are lots of different ways to begin processing through the trauma Mm. and healing from it. And so if someone's listening right now who Mm. has experienced trauma and is afraid that it will impact his or her ability to have a happy, healthy life and have a healthy relationship, what I want to say is What we know is that when people pursue treatment, when they actually Mm. face their trauma and their anxiety and get help, they do get better. Mm. And there are very few exceptions to that. So I think that's a very hopeful thing for people who are afraid of fearing that they will be stuck forever. Yeah. And then the other thing is just, again, to look at the numbers. This is something that impacts most people. Mm. And so we all have our stuff, right? We all have the different types of baggage we bring to the table. (laughs) And I find it, I find that reassuring, right? Because it's not, nobody wants perfection anyway, right? We are attracted to vulnerability. We're attracted to realness. Mm. And so, you know, it's about learning how to exist in your own relationship with your trauma and then learning how to share that in a way that feels safe with the people around you that you care about. Mm, I love that. Okay, friends, I just want to take a quick break in our amazing episode today to share with you our incredible sponsor for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Denison Ministries. Denison Ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture-changing Christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel to their sphere of influence. One of my favorite ways that Denison Ministries is helping Christians feel closer to God is through their First 15 devotional. First 15 is designed to help you spend the first 15 minutes of your day experiencing God through meaningful devotionals, scripture, worship, and prayer. Now, we always talk about how singleness and dating is the perfect season to grow closer to God, right? I mean, it really is. We can't waste this time. We have to make the most of every moment that we have. We really do. The additional time that we have now needs to be spent growing closer to God as much as we possibly can. So if you hear me saying that right now and you're like, yeah, Kate, that's great and all, but I am busy, friend. Well, I hear you. I am also busy at doing awesome things as I'm sure you're doing too. But here's a deal. Can you not at least spend 15 minutes a day studying and being with God? I mean, that is at least a priority we should be making in our life right now. So friend, I want to encourage you to sign up for the first 15 email devotional that can be sent directly to your inbox at first15.org forward slash subscribe. Or you can even start your day off with the first 15 devotional podcast and listen to that anywhere that's convenient for you. 
Join me in doing this simple but really, really impactful discipline so we can together really begin pressing into knowing God in a bigger and better way in our singleness. Another question that's just coming to my mind, Therese, about this is if we are in a place where trauma has come up for us or Mm -hmm. we're realizing it's impacting us frequently, you said earlier, like Mm -hmm. maybe daily, but if it's just even just a frequent, if we find it being frequent, Mm -hmm. when do we know that we're in a place of like good, because to the point that you also said, we're not perfect and we're always going to have some level of baggage or something we're bringing into relationship. We're always in process, I think, of processing things that are happening and always kind of seeking growth and seeking healing. But are there times where maybe when it comes to dating, we shouldn't date yet, you know, and maybe like focus Mm -hmm. on ourselves versus like, I don't know if you experience this when you're working with clients versus because I find a lot of people and I just say this from the relationship coaching I do, and I'll definitely direct I direct them to counseling and therapy when I feel like they're Mm -hmm. just not in the place to date yet. But there's a lot of people that come to me that are like, I just want a man, I just want to get married, I want to do this, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, actually, if you're, if we're, if that's the best next step actually at this moment, you know? And I think there's, especially Mm -hmm. in the Christian world, like this pressure we put on ourselves or this, we have this ultimate desire to get married, but I just don't know personally if it's sometimes the healthiest to do when we're still kind of healing from deep traumas. So just curious on your thoughts there. Right. It's a great question. And it's one that's difficult to kind of paint in a way that has a, you know, a very concrete answer. Right. Yeah. But what I would say is, unfortunately, sometimes Christian culture can kind of preach the like, you got to be perfect and get all your stuff together before you're ready to date. I don't necessarily believe that to be true either either. on that Mm -hmm. side of things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a general rule of thumb, one of the things I like to ask people is, you know, do their good days outweigh their bad, generally Mm. speaking. So if you find that you are um, dealing with your trauma on a daily basis and it's really interfering with work or home or your ability to take care of yourself or provide for yourself, then I think it's important to to deal with those things first because you've got to be able to, you know, be in a healthy place individually first. So, you know, if you're able to do those things, if you have a job, if you're able to have healthy friendships and mm. good relationships, and you find that you have more good days than bad, then I think that's a sign that it's probably okay for you to try it out. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll know right away because sometimes people get into the dating scene and it brings up a lot of trauma for them. So sometimes sometimes they need to take a breath and take a step back and maybe go to therapy or maybe learn about themselves. Um, I find that when people, you know, get care, Mm -hmm. they, they have an increased sense of self-awareness. So they're better able to kind of understand what they need. You know, the phrase I would use is they're better able to self-regulate and take care of themselves. And so they kind of can tell when the, you know, when they're ready to lean into something or when they need to take a break. You had asked me the question of uh, earlier of if you're dating someone that's been through trauma or has extreme anxiety, what should you do? And, you know, my response to that is it's normal to wonder how a person's trauma will impact your relationship with them. Mm -hmm. But ask yourself, has this person done the work to heal from their trauma Mm -hmm. or are they still in the midst of it? And if they are in the midst of it, how does their trauma impact them on a daily basis? 
I think that's a really um, helpful gauge for trying to understand whether a relationship and pursuing it is a wise idea. Mm, That's a really good question to ask. Because to your point, I think just a, a small example, but one that's come up more recently is somebody asking me like, oh, you know, like this guy just went through a divorce and now he's trying to date me and it's been like two months. And I'm like, well, <laughs> has he really mm-hmm. done the work to like go through the healing process of, you know, like, has he gone through some of that healing? I mm-hmm. think that would be a good question to ask this person or if anyone's in that scenario, ask themselves, like, mm-hmm. if you're faced with somebody who just went through a recent trauma, that exact question that you just said, and are they willing to continue to do the work? I think for me, often when mm-hmm. I'm dating someone specifically, it's less of what is your past? What trauma have you been through? And more like, what have you done to heal from that? Or what are you still doing to work through that? And that's what I care mm-hmm. about way more than are you perfect? Are you, is your background all checked out? Like blah, blah, blah. Like, no, they're, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. I want to measure for the person, the person for who they are today and how they're continuing growing into the person God's created them to be. We can't predict the things that happen to us in trauma, like, for the most part, are things that happen to us, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in many situations. And so those aren't things we can necessarily control. So how can I judge a trauma that someone's been through? It's less, oh my gosh, you've been through that. And more, what have you, what are you doing to become healed and whole and renewed? And how are you consistently doing that in your life? Just like I hope to hold myself to that same standard as well. And so self-awareness yeah. is so sexy, right? Yes, like you're reminding me you. <laughs> you're reminding me of this meme that I, I have seen come up a lot on Instagram. because <laughs> um, you know I'm on Instagram yes, a lot. You are, girl. And the meme says something like, Therapy is the new tall. Like yes. oh it my is God. so sexy <laughs> when someone invests in their own self-awareness and developing themselves. And I'm so psyched by kind of this generation, this Instagram generation, Mm. because I find that the millennial generation and younger is so pro therapy and so all about self-development and they're loud and proud about it. And I think that's so great because our parents' generation, you know, it was like this dark, terrible secret, like, oh my gosh, I go to therapy, you know, it was, yes. And I felt shame about it. And so I think um, younger generations are are much more wise about recognizing that self-development and self-work is a really, really good thing. So I love your response mm. in that, you know, you don't really, you don't judge the trauma, but you really try to understand where the person is at with it. You know, the, yes. the situation where someone's asking about a person who's recently divorced, I mean, the fact that they're asking says something already, right? right. Like they're already understanding that there might be a reason to take a pause. Yeah. But that's also why I think, you know, one of my favorite pieces of wisdom for everyone is to surround yourself with wise counsel. Right. That is why yeah. wise counsel is so helpful because mm. you know that if you're surrounded by wise people, they're going to ask you some really important questions about why, um, you know, you want to date someone who's at that stage and what's going on with him. And, and they'll make sure that, you know, you make wise decisions for yourself and you don't get yourself into trouble where, Perhaps you're dating someone that's not not super healthy or still has some work to do on themselves or is on the rebound or doesn't know what he wants because yeah. he's been married, you know, for quite a long time and yeah. hasn't dated before. Yeah. So wise counsel can kind of cover for a multitude of shortcomings. 
Yeah. And if we are on the flip side, the person that's been through the trauma, like we also just the same way need that wise counsel. We all need it. Like no matter what I know for Mm -hmm. me, that's been one of the biggest things after a heartbreak, which I consider like a trauma in in some of my bigger ones for sure. But going back into dating, I need those wise counsel. Like, hey, do you think I'm actually ready? (laughs) Like, you know me, you know my tendencies. Mm -hmm. Like, how have you observed me to be? Like, um, and this Mm -hmm. is in tandem with, you know, doing my own work in therapy and seeking mentorship and all this other stuff. But those people like, and then when I start a relationship again, sometimes I've had friends who are like, you know what, Kate, I think that maybe you're not quite there yet. And that's okay. You know? And I like appreciate that honesty so much. Sometimes I don't want to listen to it. You know, sometimes I'm like, no, I like this. Let me do my thing. (laughs) But I appreciate it so much. I remember my mentor, like it was this actual year. She was like, I was so defensive about somebody I wanted to date. And she goes, okay, do what you want. (laughs) I was like, dang it. Now I know that she's right because she's not going to stop me. (laughs) But like, she's like, all right, let's just see what happens. Go right ahead, Kate. You know, like she didn't say it like that, but that was the vibe. And I was like, no, this woman trusts me. She knows me and I care. And I know she cares about me and I want to listen to that. Right. And then just one other thing as we were talking that came up for me is someone else brought up to me. In coaching, like, oh, this I'm I'm talking to this guy and he says that he's going to therapy. Should I be worried about that? And my answer was no. And don't be worried about that. Unless he's going through this is how I answered it. And you can tell me, Therese, if you thought it was good or bad. But um I said <laughs> it doesn't concern me that he goes to therapy at all. It concerns me more if there was something recent that happened, like a trauma that he's just recently starting to heal from. So I would get mm-hmm. curious and ask more questions in that regard. The fact that he's going to therapy though, in general, isn't a red flag to me. What do you think about That's that? That's a great response. I love <laughs> okay. that so much. I'm of the school of thought that if someone goes to therapy, I'm giving them high fives. Like, yes. I think it's great. Thank you, and man. so, no, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful quality when someone goes to therapy. Mm. Um, but definitely I want to understand, you know, what are some of the core things that they're working through? Right. I think the, it's healthy to make the assumption that we're all working through things. Right. right. Yeah. And I think, you know, let's be honest, sometimes in Christian culture, we can develop this sort of unhealthy black and white view of everything, mm-hmm. you know, like things are either good or bad. Right. So, yes. Know, if, they, if they're like this, it's bad. If they're like this, it's good. The, the fact is real life and real people are not so black and white, right? There's a lot of <laughs> real life is very nuanced yes. and mental health is very nuanced. And um, trying to, you know, date someone and understand whether they're a good fit for us. That's very nuanced. So yeah. I think it's important to, to try to see the gray in between the black and white. So good. And actually, like you said, like it, it's the new tall. Like I actually, when a guy says I've been to therapy, I'm going to therapy. I'm like, Oh, I like you more. <laughs> like, because Absolutely. it shows me you're willing to be vulnerable. And that's a characteristic that I'm really looking for. Right. So now I'm curious, Teresa, and I've actually had a lot of people ask me this question. But a lot of people are nervous, like, hey, I have something that happened to me traumatically in the past. I definitely want to be real and honest with the person I'm dating about that. But they just don't know when and how to bring that up in the context of dating. So what would be how would you address that? What would be your advice for people in that area? It's a really good question as well. So obviously sharing our stories, both the positive and negative ones, is part of getting to know someone as a friend or in a dating relationship. So Mm. It's important to give ourselves permission to share our stories and not think that they just have to be 
the positive things. Mm. So to answer that question, I would say it's helpful to consider pacing. Yeah. So in the same way you wouldn't share all your flaws or your hangups <laughs> with someone on a first date with them, you probably don't want to share all your trauma all at once either. Mm. Um, and this is actually really important because one of the impacts of trauma sometimes is that a person can develop what we call black and white thinking. Mm. And it's kind of like an all or nothing mentality. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed with my clients is that when they start sharing their, their trauma, um, or the incident that was traumatic for them, they don't know how to edit mm. to go into varying levels of depth. They just kind of like word vomit everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, Unfortunately, one of the ways trauma can impact us is we just mm. go all in. But for dating, you know, that doesn't often serve us well. So I find that when you're sharing about your trauma, it's, you know, just like other parts of sharing who we are as humans, it's shared in layers. Mm. That's the best yes. way to share it. So, you know, yes. it's very common, but think of the onion analogy, right? Oh my so gosh, first exactly. you share that. This is what I said to people. <laughs> Therese, we are like in a link. Okay. I don't think I've We're ever. Vibing. You know, seriously, because I have, when people have asked me this, I'm like, think of layers of an onion. Oh my gosh, I love you. Okay. Yes. So go ahead. I'll like, <laughs> love it. Folks, we did not talk about this beforehand. We this did not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like an onion, just think about sharing the outer layers first mm -hmm. and then slowly sharing each layer until you get to the core. So, yeah. I think it's great to give ourselves permission to only share some of who we are and who, what our trauma is as we're getting to know someone. Um, it's healthy to allow yourself time to make sure your stories are safe with that person too. Yes. Um, so it's not just, do I share? It's, is this person trustworthy for me to share with? And I have kind of three questions that you can ask Ooh, that's to help you decide, you know, whether a person is a safe person to share with. So the first question is, are their actions consistent with their words? So you want someone who shows the character of someone that you could trust. Yeah. Two, do they have the ability to be empathic and compassionate or do they seem judgmental? Mm. Obviously, I would not feel safe to share with someone who I felt was judging, you know, every little thing about another person. So right. when I'm being vulnerable, I want to know that my um, story is safe in the other person's hands and that they're going to be kind and compassionate to me. Mm. And then third do I feel that this person is present with me and really hears me? Mm. Um, because it can be really hurtful to show some of those layers of our trauma, you know, like, you know, open up about that. And then to find that it falls on deaf ears, that the person isn't present, that they're not paying attention, they're distracted, whatever the case may be. And so we want to make sure that when we open up, it's with someone that's actually able to be present with us. And, you know, Sometimes people want to be that person, but yeah. they're just not because maybe they're stressed with something or maybe they're occupied with something else yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. But that, that means we probably want to take a pause before we dive into sharing some of our traumatic experiences. So mm. does that help? No, that's so, so, so helpful. And something I would just say too, sometimes I also pay attention to like 
the time and the time of day too. Sometimes just like, okay, Mm -hmm. like don't throw, don't just bring it up. Like if they have had a bad day of work, like it's maybe not the best Mm -hmm. time and they've communicated that to you. So I'm just kind of aware. I usually, when I'm in relationship, like be aware of that. Or if it's like 11 Mm -hmm. PM and you're both tired, like maybe not the right time. I don't know, unless you both are very light, late night owls. I don't want to put too many rules on it, but I just think the awareness of like what else is also happening. And Mm -hmm. because yeah, the person who might actually be an empathetic person, they may be able to hear you, but they may just have like a really bad day. I also think I say that Mm -hmm. in my own personal defense, because sometimes I know there's places where I can really sit with someone and listen Mm -hmm. and be super empathetic. And there's other times that if someone's like, I need to share this with you, I'm like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Like I'm in the best place (laughs) right now, you know? And so uh, I think- That's good though. No, that's good because you're observing your own need for boundaries. And, you know, we- need to take responsibility for what our own healthy boundary needs are. So Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I mean, I'm a therapist. I have those moments too, but I think that's really a wise perspective, Kate. And I don't know, are you familiar with, this comes up a lot in group and people that um, are in AA. Have you heard of HALT before? H-A-L-T? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are situations where we're going to be vulnerable and usually aren't the best version of ourselves. So it's important when someone is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired to halt, to stop and (laughs) take a pause. And it it actually really does apply here when we're looking at when is a good time to share. Mm, I love it. Yeah. The whole principle has been really impactful. I try to use that. I'm like, this is not a good time. I'm like hangry right now. You know, (laughs) I have both hungry and angry, not a good time to share or to try to be empathetic to someone. (laughs) Me either. I get hungry too. (laughs) So I kind of want to just go into one other thing here, Therese, too, because we kind of talked about it earlier, but I know that this impacts a lot of people. So I know one thing in the byproduct of trauma is anxiety. And we kind of went over this a bit, but I feel like this comes up very, very frequently in life, but also really, really, really so much so in dating. And so I guess my first question, because I'm a little novice in knowing about all the stuff, Mm -hmm. is there such a thing as just experiencing like occasional anxiety versus really having more clinical anxiety? Can you kind of just share that with us? Yeah, that's a great question, Kate. So it's important to remember that anxiety is a feeling experienced by all humans, and it's not considered clinical unless it meets very specific symptoms that cause disruption in their work life, their home life, relationships, or their everyday functioning. Mm -hmm. So we all have anxiety. Yeah. And (laughs) at its core, anxiety is designed to protect us. So it keeps us out of harm. And that is a really, really good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The analogy I use is anxiety is like the guard dog um, that's chained to your house. So, you know, when you have a, a, a threat come by, that guard dog is barking at that threat. And if all things go the way they should, you know, if someone comes dressed in black with a mask on in the middle of the night, then you want that guard dog to be barking and alerting you to Mm -hmm. the potential threat. Right. What happens when we have more clinical anxiety is that that guard dog is barking all the time. That guard dog is barking at the mailman. That guard dog is barking at the leaf that's blowing by <laughs> and it can get really difficult for the person having to experience experience that. Mm. And, you know, if you've ever had a dog, you know, that can get super annoying, but in, in the case of anxiety, you know, it can get very debilitating. Mm. And so there's different types of anxiety. And real quickly, I'll just say that, 
you know, when we look at clinical anxiety, there's generally two different things we're looking at. So one is acute stress disorder. Mm. So that's when you have symptoms of anxiety that last over three days and they include the things I mentioned earlier. So you can have flashbacks, you can have negative feelings or um, a sense of heaviness. Um, you can avoid the things that have been the cause of your your stress and you can be um, in a state of hyper arousal mm. or hyper vigilance. So you can struggle with sleeping. You can be irritable. You can get angry, mm. things of that nature. Yeah. And when we talk about PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder, it's those similar symptoms, but they're lasting now over a month. And in both cases, the anxiety is such that there is a level of interference with life. So, you know, it's normal for us to feel anxiety when we're about to take a test or when we're going on a first date and we haven't (laughs) met the person in real life yet, you know, that's, that's normal. But if it's so bad that we don't walk out of the house, then that's when it becomes clinical. Mm, Really, really helpful to picture because I love that you just said like, we all have anxiety. I'm like, yes, I have anxiety. Sometimes before (laughs) interviews, I have anxiety. I'm like, (sighs) you know, Mm -hmm. like depending on the situation. And so yeah, before a first date, sometimes I have anxiety too. But there is that difference between what you're saying and really having it interrupt our daily life and daily function. Something else too, I was just going to ask you, Therese, is if we find that we are someone that has some anxiety within dating, how do we, how can we learn to kind of manage some of that anxiety within our dating relationships in the future? I feel like, and I will be honest that like our episode we did earlier this year with my friend Brittany Moses on dating anxiety, we talked a little bit about it and it was like one of our most listened to episodes. So clearly Mm -hmm. people are experiencing a lot of dating anxiety, whether it's like we said, more clinical anxiety or just experiencing feelings of anxiety. So how to kind mm-hmm. of manage that in the future? It's it's such a great thing to talk about. And I love Brittany Moses. So I'm glad yes. that you <laughs> covered that topic. But I think, you know, the fact of the matter is that the way dating is today, modern dating is so different than what our parents and grandparents mm you know, did. And, you know, as we go back in generations, the rules for dating were so clear, right? Like in Victorian times, it was literally like, here's when you can talk, here's when you can't, here's what you can say, here's what you can't. And it was so very clear. And, you know, people knew the rules. And I think today, everything has changed so quickly because of technology that kind of, in many ways, nobody's quite sure what to do or, you know, things change so quickly, we're not sure how to move forward. And I think also just because feelings of insecurity run rampant in our culture today that, you know, all of that is combined. And so I think most people are experiencing some form of anxiety and dating. So if that's the person listening today, (laughs) you know, I hope they know how not alone they are. In Mm. fact, I think it's just immensely common. But you know, there are some just really, you know, basic tips for managing your own anxiety within dating. So the first thing is, you know, it's good to be aware of the symptoms of anxiety, specifically the physical and emotional symptoms. So one of the things I see in my, in my office is that many people are very disconnected from their feelings, Mm -hmm. from their, from the way they feel emotionally and the way they feel physically. And, you know, a lot of that is due in part to probably what they had to learn to do to survive, which was to disconnect themselves from feelings. And, you know, you know, it was an adaptive thing to do. 
but it's not helpful when you're dating and when you're trying to deal with your own anxiety. Right. So just paying attention, challenging yourself and going, okay, where do I feel anxiety? How do my shoulders feel? Is it in my, you know, is my forehead furrowed or is my chest tight? Does my stomach feel like it's in knots? Um, am I sweating? Am I, you know, yeah. is my heart palpitating? Like just knowing those things and being able to say, Hey, I think I'm feeling some anxiety right now yeah. is really, really powerful because then it means you can actually do something about it. So mm -hmm. the first thing is just be aware, just yeah, notice. Be aware. Mm -hmm. And this is extremely basic, but so helpful. If you don't have a feelings chart, just go on Google and Google feelings oh, chart yes. and print it out so that you can see the wheel. My favorites are like the wheel style. So it just mm. looks like a pie with different little slices and all the different feelings are listed there. And it's helpful to be able to articulate what you're feeling because yeah. a lot of times people just don't even know what they're feeling. And so to be able to look at a chart is helpful because they can go, oh, you know, I think I'm feeling irritable right now. Right. And, and then that self-awareness can help. So then the next part is learn healthy ways to cope with those feelings. So, mm. you know, every person is different. Um, one of the things I tell my clients is that, you know, we will develop a kit of different tools for them. They're going to find that some work better than others and that's okay. Yeah. So, you know, learning how to practice mindfulness, learning mm. how to, um, do a thought record, which is something, a tool that we use to help us understand our thought distortion, yeah. even just simple, deep breathing or going for a walk or mm. talking to a friend. These are all examples of all the many healthy ways to cope with anxiety. And it, so when you notice your anxiety, you're able to utilize them right away and kind of bring your anxiety down. Mm. And obviously I have to say this, like, you know, getting support to help you manage your anxiety. So it could either just be wise counsel or it could be a therapist specifically. Yeah. I think um, cognitive behavioral therapists, which is um, the modality of therapy that I most often practice can be very, very helpful with anxiety and it's scientifically backed. So it's always good when something has, it, it's been proven by science. I think that's a really wise thing to do. And then in the case of if someone's suffering from trauma, there are specific treatments that can be additionally helpful for trauma. So one of them um, that I highly recommend is called EMDR, which yeah. is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It mm. sounds super clinical, <laughs> but basically it is a treatment. It's not, it's not anything super strange or mysterious, but it's a treatment where people are able to reduce how much they're impacted by a traumatic memory. Wow. And it's, really, really effective and has helped my clients immensely. So I highly recommend EMDR, but also acupuncture can be helpful. Mm. I already mentioned mindfulness yeah. um, and medication sometimes. And I think giving yourself permission to use medication is really important. I don't think it has to carry a stigma. There's amazingly intelligent, wonderful uh, people who use medication. It doesn't have to be a thing. Yeah. And then if it's still an issue, there are also new treatments coming up. Um, they're less studied but there's um, virtual reality exposure therapy that can be helpful. There's Ooh. even right now, the, the thing that's all the rage that people are talking about is ketamine infusion. Oh, I have um, not heard of that. You know, <laughs> it sounds super intense because, you know, ketamine has like this reputation, but I, from what I understand, the studies look quite promising. Mm. So the good news is if you're struggling with anxiety and dating, there's so much that is out there that can help you. Mm. So, you know, take heart. 
that there are many things that can help this journey be a less anxious one for you. What if you're dating someone who's currently struggling with clinical anxiety or they're like really Mm. going – because I did date someone who was going through that and it was really Mm -hmm. difficult for me to know how to like – what how to show up, what was Mm -hmm. (laughs) – um like how to handle it. I had actually never really experienced that in the context of a dating relationship before. So I didn't really know Mm -hmm. what to do on my end, what to say, how to show up. So – If you are, yeah, what would be your advice in those kinds of scenarios? That's a great question. So when you're dating someone and you find out that they might be struggling with some anxiety, I think it's important first to just kind of get a sense for their relationship to their own anxiety. Mm. So is it something that they're sharing openly and transparently? Is it something that they feel embarrassed or ashamed of? I think based on their vibe towards their own difficulties, it'll give you a sense of how to move forward. Mm. And as I said earlier, you really want to ask if they're in the midst of dealing with something really difficult. And if they're in the midst of it, how is it impacting them on a daily basis? Right? Mm. So, you know, is their anxiety getting in the way of them being able to go to work or go to school um, or get out of, out of the house? Those things will obviously impact you if you're dating the person. And it's only fair that you have, you know, you you try to develop a decent sense of what to expect. Yeah. Um, one of the best questions you can ask someone that you care about that you're dating um, when you find out that they're struggling with something like, like anxiety is to say, how can I be helpful or supportive to you in your healing? Mm. So, wow, um, and, and when they give you the answer, which it c- it's going to be different for every single person. And I find this to be something that can really bother people. So let me just put this out there. Sometimes when we hear that someone's struggling with something, our own anxiety shows up and we try to say, we try to say things to them to make them feel better, but they're not to make them feel better. They're to make us feel better. Oh, that's actually so true. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, let's say someone says, you know, gosh, I'm really upset about this date I just had. And you know, people can minimize it by saying, oh, it's no big deal. You'll be fine. There's plenty of fish in the sea. They say things like that, (laughs) which are actually minimizing the person's, you know, disappointment or sadness or whatever. So it's important to ask yourself, you know, more than once, like what serves the person that I care about? What can I do for them? And so let's say, you know, the person you're dating says, you know, if you can, check in on me every now and then and ask me how I'm feeling and if I'm feeling anxious or if you can help me do some mindfulness and deep breathing from time to time, That would, I'd really appreciate that. Well, then you have to ask yourself, am I comfortable with that? Am I comfortable with being an ally to this person I care about that I'm dating mm. in their healing journey? Yeah. And you know, you'll know whether it's something you can do or you might think that it's too much for you and that's okay. Then that probably means that you know, the timing's not right for you, or maybe they're not a fit for you. Um, Because, you know, the truth is all human beings have some level of maintenance that they need, right? (laughs) No matter what they're dealing with. Um, So I think it's really important. Ask them what they need, um, you know, and how you can support them in their healing. And then the last thing, you Mm -hmm. know, is pretty basic and very easy thanks to Google, which is just to get informed. So perhaps think about reading a book or doing some research on what they're saying that they're dealing with so that you can get a handle on what it is and know what to expect. Um, And you're not thinking that some mysterious, scary thing in your mind that you have no idea how to deal with. Like mental health and people that struggle with mental illnesses, you know, 
they're regular people that we deal with in our lives all the time. Mm. And so it's not some big, scary monster. It's something that for most people is very manageable and, you know, might um, get in the way sometimes, but, you know, most people can, can work through that through Mm. therapy, through medication, through different forms of treatment. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of information out there. You know, I'm a big fan of the accessibility of Instagram and social media. There's a lot of great therapists out there that (laughs) share so much content on trauma, on anxiety. I mean, there's just so much good stuff out there right now. Mm. There's amazing books. Um, Mm. One book that I think is particularly helpful if someone is struggling with trauma is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. (laughs) You've heard of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The author's name is kind of a tricky one, but, and I don't really know how to say it right, but it's Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah. Bessel van der Kolk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll have that in the show notes for people. (laughs) I'm sure people just Amazon too, or look wherever they buy books, The Body Keeps the Score. It's Fascinating. Actually, I can't mm-hmm. lie and say I've read the entire thing. I've probably read like half of it, but I've learned so much just from it's very intense. Have. Yeah, it's intense. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but it's really, really, really helpful to understand how mm-hmm. even for me, just like understanding how it affects our body was really, really helpful yeah. for me. The book talks about trauma. So, you know, it's important to be aware of your own feelings as you're reading it and it might be mm-hmm. triggering or it could be a little bit heavy. So, you know, you have to be really mindful about being kind to yourself as you read it. Um, But it does offer a lot of really helpful information. And that actually brings me to like another point when it comes to dating someone who's dealing with anxiety, which is when you become aware of what they're struggling with and as they're sharing with you about some of their potential struggles and telling you a bit of that story, it's also important to just check in with yourself and notice what feelings are coming up for you Mm. because you might find that maybe it's triggering you or perhaps you're feeling afraid or overwhelmed or scared or unsure or confused. And, you know, just to be aware of the fact that, you know, some of those feelings are quite normal, but you don't want to make decisions about this relationship based on the fact that you feel those feelings. You want to have a chance to kind of separate yourself from those feelings a little bit Mm. and make a, you know, make decisions and move forward from a place that feels centered and healthy and loving Mm. for you. That's so good. Everything you're saying, I'm like relating to situations I've been through and I'm like, oh, okay, how did I handle that situation? Um, but this is, is so helpful, Therese, to really think about like, okay, how can I be like asking the question, how can I be helpful or supportive to you in your healing? And then within mm-hmm. that, like not saying things just because we're uncomfortable with what they're going through, which I think a lot of us are guilty with, whether it's something basic at church. Like I feel a lot of people like I'm having a hard time and the other person's like, it's okay. God is good. You'll be fine. Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, yes. But like, you're totally discounting that. I just told you something not great is happening right now. You know, there's a name for that, right? So that's toxic (laughs) positivity. And it's also that specific kind at church when people say God is good, everything's going to be fine. It's called spiritual bypassing. Oh my god! So it's using a spiritual lens (laughs) to minimize someone's experience. And Mm. it's not good. Oh my gosh, I'm writing this down. Spiritual bypassing. (laughs) What was the first toxic positivity? Toxic positivity. So it's it's positivity is good, but it's not good when it minimizes a person's experience mm. or makes them feel not heard or just kind of completely bulldozes over 
their pain or their struggle or their grief. So mm. um, it's usually a result of someone who is feeling anxious about the person's discomfort or their pain. And so they throw toxic positivity at them, you know, which usually is like a quote, an inspirational quote or a motivational <laughs> quote or something very trite. Um, and the result of that is that when someone says something like that to you and you're hurting, it makes you feel worse. Yes. It makes you feel, I feel typically when that's been done to me, like like embarrassed and like almost shameful for Mm -hmm. the feelings that I do have or the pain that I am going through. And I feel very Mm -hmm. discounted and not seen typically. And so, yeah, it definitely makes you feel pretty much worse when someone does that. It it sucks. And yeah. And so whenever someone then uses something like Jesus in the, in, in the context of toxic positivity, then it becomes spiritual bypassing. So it's basically using like a spiritual belief Mm -hmm. to minimize someone's experience specifically, Mm. or basically, I mean, it's, it's basically false teaching, right? Because it's saying that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't feel those things. You shouldn't feel pain. Totally you should, yeah, like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't feel those things. It's mm-hmm. so true. I'm thinking of a time of a friend who like was at a chiropractor and her back was really in pain. And this is honestly really terrible, but uh, it, this is what happens. We're like, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Hey, stop that. I'm in pain. And the doctor was like, you just need to take that to Christ. You're not really in pain. While he was working on her, I know it's terrible, but oh um, like literally so terrible. And she actually got even further injured from that. And I honestly think that's a good metaphor for what can happen when we do that to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like it actually can make us True. that much worse off when we're just like, just, you know, take it to God or don't, you know, you're not allowed to have that feeling. We're just totally discounted or it's covered up like God's good and he's got you. And there's some good within some of the things people say. And I understand, but I think that as Christians, we just have to be careful with when we don't understand the pain of what someone's been through or what they're going through, or if we have no ability at the moment to connect and relate to someone's trauma, for example, Mm -hmm. like we have no place to just throw that level of positivity and try to cloak it with this Mm -hmm. like easy, simple solution. It's just, it's not helpful. And it can be incredibly damaging. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, Honestly, even advice sometimes when even when given, you know, with good intentions, sometimes that's not what helps us heal when we're hurting. Yeah. Right. It's just knowing that someone cares, knowing that someone sees and understands us. That's really the best medicine in most of these cases. Mm. But I think we're in such a space at times when we have a desire to feel useful or we have a desire to feel like you know, we're important. And so we go, you know what, I've got some advice for you, or here's a motivational quote, or just pray about it, it'll be fine. And it's, it's just not helpful at all. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we could all stand to really be mindful of how to love our brothers and sisters well. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to do that is just to be present with them. Mm -hmm. And secondly, if you can be present with them, and then listen and hear them and reflect what you're hearing and express that you care or that you're concerned or that you feel their pain and just leave it at that. Just doing those things alone can really, really help people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the the piece of empathy, you know, and providing just mm-hmm. like an arm or a shoulder for somebody to be with instead of like this major solution for their life. 
Oh, gosh, it's so true. Therese, this is so good. I feel like we could just keep on talking. This episode is so encouraging just to walk through all the layers of trauma, how it affects us, how, what kind of help we can seek if we are going through that, if it is affecting us very significantly, and then anxiety and the layers of anxiety and how to both deal with that personally and also interpersonally with other people and how to address somebody who's going through these issues. Gosh, so many incredible things. I know the listeners are just going to have so many incredible tools to walk away from. But before we like kind of end, I want to ask you our same question we ask everyone, which is just what's your final nugget of dating advice today for the Heart of Dating listeners? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. My piece of advice would be that people are drawn more to vulnerability than Mm -hmm. perfection. Mm -hmm. So if someone reacts negatively to your trauma, it says more about them than it does about you. And just to become an expert in being the healthiest version of you. Mm. Some of the most common frustrations in dating that I see in my office are completely avoidable. Mm. So my advice is to go to therapy, to seek feedback from other people, get wise counsel, as I said earlier, learn to communicate in a healthy way, be a good listener and practice being empathic. It's, you know, these are simple things and they're totally doable for most people. You know, the only thing worse than having a bad date is to do that over and over again. So learn how to avoid repeating patterns that aren't serving you well. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Oh my gosh, Therese, you're amazing. How can people connect with you on Instagram? I know we both love being on Instagram. And you talked about all these people who are encouraging on Instagram, and you are absolutely one of those people. So I just want everyone to go and follow you and connect with you. Um, What's your handle for everyone? (laughs) (laughs) So on Instagram, thank you so much. Um, On Instagram, it's at exploring.com therapy. Mm-hmm. And then my website, if you still use websites, is exploringtherapy.com. <laughs> Amazing. Therese, all the way from Portugal. I can't believe it with the time zone. You're up doing this with me and you're amazing. I love you, girl. Thank this you. was a blast. Thank so much so fun. Much. Thank you so much for being on today. Gosh, y'all, I am just so thankful for Dr. Therese and the work that she is doing. She is truly transforming lives, and I am beyond thrilled that she was willing to provide us with so much helpful insight on the topics of trauma and anxiety today. One of my favorite parts of the podcast today was when Dr. Therese went over the best question to ask someone who is currently healing from trauma or working through anxiety. That question is, how can I be helpful or supportive to you in your healing? Instead of writing someone off, get curious with them. Seek to love them without judgment. I am incredibly passionate about not only better dating, but also better awareness of mental health and how that affects dating and how we can show up with curiosity and compassion and love. If you want to connect with Dr. Therese, make sure to connect with her on Instagram at at exploring.therapy and also make sure to check her out at exploringtherapy.com. See you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.